One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. All right, welcome ladies and gentlemen back to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Hannah Hogan. Great to be here, friends. Yes, yes, and we are, uh, we are pumped to be here. We're pumped to be alive. I went down to, I'm doing a thing with the Nashville Predators in September, and I went down there to record a promo video today, and they said, oh, that's tomorrow. So I got some free time today and less free time tomorrow. All right. But I feel good. I've done a few radio call-ins today uh, to promote my shows this weekend. And uh, so I am primed for it. We're warmed up. We've been talking all morning. We have been talking. We've been talking about quite a bit. Yeah. And we're pumped. pumped. We're happy to be here. We've got an exciting podcast. After the end of our regular podcast, I have an interview that I did with uh, Rick Roberts, who Rick Roberts is a comedian and friend of mine. He's done my show at Zany's, and uh, I've done his podcast, the School of Laughs podcast. And he came on here to talk about what he does, which, I mean, he has been a uh, nationally touring professional comedian for since 1992, 91, maybe. We say that on the podcast. And uh, I recorded it already. I recorded it with him yesterday, and we're just going to add it to the end of this. But it was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. He has a lot of good advice for people that want to get into comedy. His podcast is loaded with that, that he does, the School of Laughs podcast. But he gives a lot of information here on this one. So listen to mine first, and then go listen to Rick Roberts, uh, his own podcast. And that is schooloflaughs.com. Schooloflaughs.com. He also has his own website called rickroberts.com, and that is R-I-K, no C in there. R-I-K Roberts. And for people that listen to this podcast, Rick Roberts wanted to give a coupon code so that you could sign up for his online classes if you want. And this may, uh, I don't know if it's only online. If you live in Nashville, maybe this coupon code would apply to uh, live classes as well. I don't know. But online classes, if you use the coupon code DUSTYPOD, that's my name, D-U-S-T-Y, POD, then you'll get a coupon. A discount. I don't know how much of one he might have said. It may be on the actual interview with me and Rick. So maybe Which you can catch at the end of this podcast. Yeah, so maybe a teaser to listen to it. Mm-hmm. But he is offering that. And Rick Roberts, very funny. He's got some videos on YouTube. He said he just had his um, dry bar videos have just hit YouTube. So very fun. So that's oh, at that's the, exciting. Yeah. So that's at the end of this. And if you look, we are going to try to timestamp it. So. At the end of this podcast, it will begin at a certain time, and we'll try to put that in the description box. But honestly, we don't need it because we know that you're dying to listen to the whole thing. And timestamp is when we give you the time code on the podcast of where to go to for the interview. Right. Some people aren't experts with technology like us. Right. Well, that's true. We are so good. Mm-hmm. So good at it. And uh, so this is what we got. We uh, we got the welcome to the show. Yes, 
This is week seven. Week seven. Uh, of our series. Week seven. Season two, baby. Week seven, season two. Week this you know what? I was a little I wasn't down, but I was kind of making fun of myself about doing this uh teaching comedy because I felt like people weren't listening. I felt like my my views were going down every week. They talking trash, they talking smack. Telling so many lies, I know they're full of crap. That's okay. Haters gonna hate. Uh-huh. I'll play at Stinky's Joke Barn with them any day. They, they, they talking trash. But I was committed. I was like, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this because I want to, not for the views. I'm doing it because I care about comedy. I care about people. I want them to enjoy comedy the way I've enjoyed it. And But I was just looking this morning, and actually, the views are all up. Season 2 has been a success. Season 2 has been better than season 1. Suck on that, Tim Dillon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Tim Dillon had put out a tweet one time about how uh, he didn't want people to continue to give advice to other comics. And I think it was more of a joke to say... Uh, leave all that. Leave all the stage time for us. Don't teach new people how to do it. But I do think that if people learn to do comedy better, that the whole landscape of comedy will improve, and people will be dying to come to shows because they can almost guarantee that it's going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. I'm not selfish about it. I want. Yeah, I mean, people are better drivers now because we have drivers ed and. The cars have improved. So improvement overall knowledge is good. Right, and I'm trying to give real advice. So this is week seven. Season two, baby. Getting into comedy clubs. I know that can be a hurdle for people, but we're not going to do that yet. First, we're going to do where we've been, where we're going. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, Where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. And where we've been is we've been oh well I went to Montreal this weekend Montreal Quebec Canada Canada oh, Canada our home and native land true patriot love with all our sons for the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, which is amazing. Last year I was there as a uh, New Faces unrepped, and this year I was back as Variety Top Ten top Comic ten. Top Ten Comics to Watch. Top Ten Comic, and I got a trophy. Uh, oh yeah, which I'm looking at right now as I'm looking just over the head of my wife. I'm looking at the trophy. So oh I okay, to, I thought I was a trophy. I get to see the two trophies in my life. Okay, all right, that's fun. That's sweet of you to see. And then a third trophy above that uh, from a three-on-three improv tournament where I beat uh, my team, beat Brandy Sullivan's team at Theater 99. Nope. Which is no one cares about that though. But it's a personal accomplishment for me. Okay, and uh, Brandy won every year. Okay. Until that team. Hmm. You love winning. You act like you're humble, but and you are humble, but you also love winning. Yeah, no, you can be humble and also enjoy winning. Okay. You know? I mean, there's. I, I think that's a, a real thing that people think, that if, if you don't care about winning if you're humble. And it's like, no, I, I'm not going to cry if I lose, but I'd rather win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so... Where we been? I went to Montreal just for laughs. Uh, had a really great showcase. I got to do the Monument National again, which I think it's National Monument National. I always make it National, but uh, I think it sounds fancier. But I did that, and uh, incredible show. 
I got to do a little award ceremony. I got to do another show in the week. But that show, nice theater, amazing place. I got 10 minutes, and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I was so happy to be back. And then this week, uh, I'm going to Des Moines, Iowa, to the Funny Bone, where I've been before, where me and Hannah saw a giant possum outside of the hotel. Oh, yeah, when we were dating. Yeah, we were dating. I was opening for Dominique. Yeah. And now I'm back. And Uh, I got mad at you for not introducing me to Dominique. You did. Yeah, very early on. This is like our second time really hanging out at a Probably like a month and a half deep into a long-distance relationship. (laughs) Yeah, and you're mad at me about not introducing you to Dominique. Why didn't you introduce me? Well, you just stood there and talked to this girl, and I was just standing there like, hey, I'm just here. Well, you acted like that it was some great conversation that we had. We were leaving the hotel, and we run, and we bump into Dominique and her friend that's with her, and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, hey, and I'd, I'd never actually talked to Dominique. She showed up um, after I was already on stage. I introduced her, and I saw her briefly after, and then, uh, yeah, and then Hannah thinks that I'm just, like, best friends with Dominique, and I'm like, oh, here's my girlfriend, and it's like, it was a weird interaction. Yeah, at that point, maybe it wasn't even your girlfriend. It was unclear. Yeah, it was unclear, and... Um, that's fine, though. But we had a good time. Dominique's very funny. And she was a finalist in Last Comic Standing on the year that I didn't make it out of the first round. So that was also ongoing. I still thought that I might show up on TV at any time for Last Comic Standing, and I never did. So, But anyway, I'll be back at Des Moines, this time as the headliner, big time, running the show. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then Sunday, I'm going over to Kansas City to the Kansas City Improv, where I've been before. As a headliner and as a feature. I once featured there for Aerie Spears. Which I was is, also at those shows. You were. That was the first weekend of shows you came to. I guess I hit up a lot of the Midwest with you early yeah. on. And I I really crushed those shows. I didn't do that well in front of Dominique, but I crushed those Kansas City shows, yeah. and that was great. Aries liked you. Yeah, he did. We actually ended up doing two more weekends together, and, and, and I think if we'd have done more, we'd have become friends. But um, we didn't. We didn't do any more, <laughs> so... Uh, and then, so that's where I've been, where I'm going, and also that'll be that'll be uh, the first, second, third. I'll be in Des Moines. Fourth, I'll be in Kansas City, and then I'll be back on the sixth. That's a Tuesday. I'll be at the Grand Old Opry, and then on the seventh, that's a Wednesday. I have my show at Zany's. Now we may have another podcast out before that Zany show, but I just want to go ahead and throw it out there to give you a week to get a babysitter and buy some tickets to the Zany show, Dusty Slay's Grand Old Comedy Show. Yeah, and I mean, if you August, are in Saturday. the area, if you live within, you know, four or five hours of Nashville, Tennessee, why don't you come on out and come to this show? Dusty was just on The Tonight Show. He was just at the prestigious Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. And here he does this basically monthly show at, at Zany's at his home club. Come check him out live. We had to skip July because that I was asked to do The Tonight Show on the same day that I had my uh, Zany's show. And I didn't want to cancel I was like, this is unfortunate, but I was like, uh, what I'm sure am I, they understand. Yeah, I was like, what am I going to do, you know? Yeah. So I did the Tonight Show. I don't regret it. I had a good time, but I'm happy to be back at Zany's. So then, uh, so that's where we've been, where we're going. And then on the road, um, I know this, uh, I just mentioned Montreal, but I just wanted to say, I got a video coming out. I just put out a video last night that is about me taking a, a private plane ride uh, to the Grove in Lowell, Arkansas. And it was incredible, and I got a good video. It's about a 10-minute video I put together last night. I think it's very funny. Hanny, Hannah helped me with it. It's very funny. 
And so go check that out. If you don't know about my YouTube channel, just type in Dusty Slay and it'll come up. And I got a lot of fun videos that I do, a lot, a lot of travel vlogs. So I did that one about the plane ride, and I got a bunch of other footage that needs to be edited. Now Hannah's about to jump in the editing seat and start helping me with this so that we can push these out faster. But I have one where I walked around Old Montreal, which is just a beautiful city. It's really amazing, Old Montreal. It's like, I don't know, when was it built? Probably in the 1500s. Yeah, it's very old, very French. Most people are French-speaking in, in Quebec and Montreal, and it just it's just incredible. And uh, so It's pronounced Montreal. Okay, all right. And I, uh, I filmed uh, a lot of stuff walking around downtown. I got a little clip of my performance at the uh, Monument National, and uh, so... Monument National. Yes. National. So, National. bonjour. Bonjour. And Comment ça va? Yes. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Here we go. Uh, oh, um, uh, ça va bien. Oh no, I was never going to come up with that. What is it? The uh, merci. That's merci. Yeah. Merci bien. De rien. Yeah. So, what a beautiful city! And so, be on the lookout for that. And then, food on the road. I said food on the road. Food on the road. Uh, I went to a place called Gabby's, and my manager, uh, Judy, uh, she said that she's been to. I may be misquoting this number, but I, I want to say she's been to Just for Laughs every year for 23 years. That may be too many, but I think that's right. 23 years. And she said she's been to this restaurant, Gabby's, every time. Once a year she goes. They remember her. The bread was delicious. They bring around this thing, uh, and they give you bread, pickles, um, bacon, and... Um, Ah, oh, forget. Oh, there was one other thing. Water. Well, water. Obviously, they've already brought it around for you to drink. Mm-hmm. But the, what the, what they want you to do? There's one other thing, and I forget what it is now, and that's a shame because I think that was a key ingredient. But they, you mix those. You make a little sandwich out of the pickle, the bacon, and something else, and, and you eat that. That and, sounds good. Uh, I don't eat bacon, but I was in a difficult position, so I had a tiny bit of bacon. Did you? I did, and uh, I tried it. I don't eat pickles anymore either for that matter, and uh, most of the stuff that was there I, I don't eat, but I ate it, and I had a little bit of it, and um, it was it was pretty good. It was really good, and then I had a, t- had a tiny bit of bacon, very tiny bit, and, uh, and then I had salmon and um, rice and vegetables, and I loved it. It was a delicious meal. So Gabby's in Old Montreal, in Quebec, in Canada. Quebec. Oh, Canada. And uh, I just want to go back a little bit. Dusty said he was making some vlogs. And for our listeners that don't know what a vlog is, it's a video blog. So you're blogging, but it's over video. Yeah, basically what I want to try to do is I'm going to all these cool places and I'm enjoying the sights. I'm enjoying seeing them. So I'm going to try to do more to capture those. And I I hope that the videos get better as I go along because I'll learn what footage I can use and what I can't use. Already early on, a lot of my videos are real jerky. And I'm going to try to do better about that. I really think the Montreal footage is very good because I had the GoPro out in the city walking around, not driving around. I think it's quite impressive. And, uh, I'd like to thank you for the mug that you brought me and the, the t- T-shirt with the Canadian maple. Yes, on it. absolutely. I so, do thank you. Yes, no problem. So that's what we got. 
And now, let's get into the advice to comics. Advice. Advice to comics. It's important that we get on this, uh, and here we go. Week seven, getting into comedy clubs. Week seven. Season two. All right, and I, I wrote this, and I didn't read it. I didn't read it. I didn't proofread it. So, but I wrote this the other day on the plane, and I feel pretty good about it. You better go slow, then. If you've been doing all the things from the other weeks, then you may have learned a little about getting booked into clubs on your own. Meaning that you've been listening all along, and you've been following these steps. You may have wandered your way into a club and found out how to get yourself in there on your own. And that's great. If you have, great. But before I get into uh, before I get into this, there's no. I want to re-emphasize that there's no clear way to get booked at a club. I'm going to share with you what worked for me and what didn't. Some things worked for one place and not for another. Some I was able to do on my own, and some I needed help. Other stuff I just learned along the way. Remember, do whatever you want. Be a rebel. Go wild. I'm just going to tell you what worked for me. It's simply just putting in the work and not burning too many bridges. I did burn some, unfortunately. But when I say that about being a rebel, I mean, I mean, if you're listening to me, I'm not preaching to you, telling you what to do. If you want to be a rebel, go wild. It may work for you. Uh, I've found that it's better if you just, you know, simply quote unquote play the game, um, be nice to people, uh, work to be funny. My first suggestion is to clean up your social media and your YouTube. Um, by YouTube, I really mean every video of you online. When someone else looks you up, uh, what do they see? Uh, That's really difficult. One. It is, it is. But, you know, because this is the problem. And I'm going to finish this paragraph and then I'll, and I'll talk about it more. Uh, try to have total control of what videos are online. Email people to get them to take down videos of you. Make sure your videos are up to date. You don't want a club to look you up and see a video of you screwing around at some open mic 10 years ago, right? Now, Hannah, uh, in particular, has a situation where she has videos that she can't get them taken down. Someone else uploaded them 10 years ago. I mean, I've been an actress since before YouTube was even a thing, and I've got... Oh, right, I don't even know what's right, out there. Right, 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 right. But let's not dwell on it. But the, the point is, she's emailed the person... They can't, they can't get it down. They're like, I don't remember my password. We've reported it to YouTube over and over again. They can't take it down. So it could be difficult. But this is if, but if you're not in that situation yet, uh, now's a good time to go ahead and remedy it. If somebody has a video of you up, what you need to do is copy your video off of YouTube. You can do that pretty easy with some, some websites. Copy your video off of YouTube and then ask them to delete it. Get it deleted. Get it taken down. When I did this initially, I got a lot of resistance from people. People would be really offended that I wanted them to take the video down. And I'm like, just do it. Like, I don't, it's my video and I don't want it up there. And so just take it down. So go ahead and get that down. Have total control of the videos that you post. And don't have a video from five or six years ago on there, like of you doing stand up. If it's some funny sketch video, that's fine. But old stand-up like that you need in my opinion needed to be rotating it i got a couple that are a little a, a little bit old but if they're good they're funny you got a lot of views keep it but if you got you know you got 500 views on a video that's 10 years old go ahead and take that down you know 
That's my suggestion, and it looks good. When a club, when you email a club and say, hey, I'm trying to get in there, and then they look up your YouTube, and the most current video you have is from 11 years ago, and you're at an open mic uh, throwing confetti in the air, uh, and your avant-garde friends thought it was hilarious, it's not going to look good for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You okay? Has this triggered you? It has triggered me, but I'm okay. Okay, good. All right. Because we have really been through it with Hannah trying to get that cleared up, and it's tough. All right, but so clean that up. Clean up your social media in a way that you don't want to seem drama-filled. If people go to look you up, you email them, and they go to your social media and look you up, and you're just a, a bag of drama, they're going to be like, you know what, maybe we don't need that at our club. So just clean it up. All right, get a website. Wix or Squarespace is very easy. Now, the reason that I'm I'm suggesting all these things first, because I think these things are important to have before you ever approach a, cru- a club. Uh, you know, just go ahead and get that. If you're if you're dedicated to being a comic, these things are not that expensive, and uh, just get on it. Here we go. Get a website. Wix or Squarespace is very easy and inexpensive for a basic website. Get a Facebook fan page and start building it. Uh, now's the perfect time. Get into it now. It will build over time, and then you can direct people to your fan page all the time. You don't even have to push it that much. You can just direct people there through through various things, and you'll learn that as you go along. Um, uh, there's a website called bandsintown.com, bandsintown.com. Now, if you, it, it, it's a great calendar website that you can update and link it to your website and Facebook fan page to keep your calendar updated. So it will once you, you know, once you, you now you're going to have to learn this on your own. I can't teach this, and I learned it on my own. But they have what you call widgets that you can link to your Facebook fan page and to your website, and then you can update it in one space. You can have bands in town, Facebook fan page, and your website all have one calendar, all synced up. So when you update it, it's gonna it's gonna be easy to do. And before you ha- before I had any real dates. I would just put the open mics I was doing. It seems cheesy, but if it's all you have, it looks better than an empty calendar. I mean, when I moved to Nashville, I was doing no uh, clubs. But I was like, I was putting uh, that I'm doing Spanky's open mic on Monday. And you don't have to put that it's an open mic. You can just say I'm performing at Spanky's and the East Room and uh, Cult Fiction Underground and just those places. And people would come and see me. They would check my website and they would come see me at the Oza open mic. So it's like... You're building a brand here. You get people out to see you. Uh, get a good bio and a decent headshot. It doesn't have to be amazing or expensive. Just a high-def picture of your, of your face and a bio that you've at least let two people read, two smart people proofread before posting. So, I mean, write that bio and then find your smartest friends, send it to them, and go, hey, will you read this? Will you, will, you, will you correct all the grammar mistakes, and will you tell me if it's good or not? Just do that. It's not hard. Just do it. It doesn't have to be hilarious. Just tell about you and what you've done. And a good thing to do is go to you know like a famous comedian or a semi-famous comedian's website, read their bio, and uh, copy it. You know, I mean, don't copy and paste it, but copy the format. Uh, Someone has written my bio now, which I enjoy. I mean, I've always written my own bio, but someone has written it now, and uh, I like it. And uh, so, 
but it's you know it's a long one you don't have to have a long one especially when you're sending it to clubs mine is just for my website when you go click on bio you can learn a little bit about me but uh if you're emailing just have a little thing hey i'm from this city i work these clubs i've opened for these people you know other comics are going to make fun of you. Just get used to it. You know they're gonna you're gonna you're gonna work with a comic at a club. Let's say you work with Jeff Ross at a club. You're gonna add it to your bio that you open for Jeff Ross. Other comics are gonna say you didn't really open for him. You got booked in front of him at the club, but it doesn't matter. Aren't you supposed to ask the headliner if you can say that? I didn't know that either. But then, so I was saying I opened for so and so. I opened for so so just because like I got booked by the club to open for them. And then someone said that you're supposed to ask the headliner. Is it okay if I say that I open for you? I think it's totally fine to just put it on there because oh. chances are you're not going to be able to find Jeff Ross after the weekend to ask him, can you put that on there? Okay. This is what I always did. I always said I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with comics such as. Okay. And then that way it's like, you don't so need, it's just a classic exaggeration on a resume. Right. You don't need permission to say you you did work with someone because right. you did work with them. Now, it's different. Don't put on there, Jeff Ross told me to email you and use him as a recommendation. Okay. Maybe that's what it is, is when you're trying to get in clubs. Yeah. And they're like, well, who have you opened for? Oh, I've opened for Jeff Ross. And then they have a relationship with Jeff Ross. And Jeff Ross, I don't even remember who this guy is. Right. So that's why that's why I say, and I think I put that in here, but I've said it many times. Be honest about where you're at. You can exaggerate a bit, but you don't have to lie. Say, I've had the pleasure of sharing the stage with Jeff Ross. If the club asks, well, what happened? You go, the club booked me. I worked with him. It went great. You know? Right. So post your best video on your homepage of your website. My opinion, don't make people search for your videos. When they go to your website, have have your main best video be on the homepage. If If you've done something for TV, put that one up there. But if you just have a good, high-quality video where you're getting a lot of laughs, post that right away. Make yourself look as good and as professional as possible. So that is all my pre-getting-into-club stuff. Now, how to get into the clubs. This is when the three Ps, patience, persistence, and politeness, come back into play. Don't call the clubs. People used to tell me to do that all the time. I think it's bad advice in 2019. Is that what year it is? Either way. No one wants to answer the phone. Uh, When people call me, I'm like, what's going on here? Maybe shoot me a text. All right? No one wants to answer the phone. I am all about the email. Now, where do you get the emails? I don't know. Start researching and compiling a list. Uh, This is going to be part of the process. I mean, you may be able to find a comic. I found a comic early on who had a list with a few emails on it, and you may be able to find that too. Uh, and, uh, so, so start researching, finding emails where you can find them and then compile your own list. You don't have to share that with other people, but keep it so that you have a contact list. Start with a club where you live. If there's no club close to where you live, then you will most likely have to move. I mean, honestly, if there's no comedy club in your town, at some point you're going to need to think about moving if you want to get involved with comedy clubs. I don't know how to do comedy without completely diving in. That's what my life has been. It's been comedy. Comedy is on the weekends, so get ready to give up your weekends. I, have, I haven't been to a wedding in a long time. The last wedding I went to, in fact, the last wedding I went to, uh, I happened to have the weekend open. I knew about the wedding, and I texted my friend, and I said, I know I didn't RSVP, but can I still come to your wedding? And he was like, come on. 
So me and Hannah got in the car, drove to Alabama. But I didn't commit to it because if I get booked, I'm going to take the booking. I mean, that's my job. Look for open mics and showcases on the website of your local club. And look for an email. Find out whatever info you can before contacting anyone. If you need to contact someone, be polite and honest and ask to do the open mic or showcase. But if you go on an open mic, it may say, we do open mics on Wednesday at 7.30. Show up at 7 for sign up. And then, So just do that. There's no need to email anyone there. You may not have all the information that you need, but just be prepared to work on the fly because that's how it is with comedy. The first time – now, I had done comedy for about six years. Uh, never did a club really. Somebody got me on at Zany's, and I was to open for Pablo Francisco, and I, and I, I was supposed to do 15 to 20 minutes clean is what they said. So I show up with my 15, 20 minutes ready to go. And they come back there in the green room and they say, the host didn't show up. Can you host? I had never hosted in my life at a comedy club. I had hosted my own little shows here and there, but I was like, yeah, I can host. And they go, can you do 30? Also still needing to be clean. And I could, so I said yes. And then I opened the door and there's a sold-out room of people. I walked right on stage to my very first time at a comedy club and I rocked it. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, that would rattle me even if I'd been working for a long time. I mean, oh, all of a sudden I'm hosting. Oh, all of a sudden I'm doing an extra, you know, 15 minutes clean. I mean, I know you work clean, so it's not a big thing. But, I mean, what if you weren't? Right. Like, what if you're like most comedians who don't work predominantly clean? I mean, that's. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, what you would say in that situation is, well, I can, but I can't do it clean. Yeah. And then you would see where the club was at. Because at that point, the club needs you. Uh, so maybe they're able to bend the rules. But it was such a big moment for you because you did such a great job and you were able to do all the things they asked of you, being someone they didn't know. And I think that obviously it really impressed them at Zanies. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, be prepared to work on the fly. You know, if you, it, it, you know, depending on where you're at, you may not be able to do 30 and you may not be able to do 30 clean. But I was ready because I had been doing it for a long time before I ever even approached a comedy club. You know, I was ready. I probably took too long, but I was ready to go. Now, in the case that you look on the website and there's not a lot of information, you may find an email. Email, just be polite. Say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking to do your open mic and I'd just like to find out what I need to know. What time do I need to arrive and how much time should I do? But make sure that stuff is not answered on the website before you send the email because then you just seem annoying. No one wants that annoying person. Um, yeah, it's like when your friends like when you're when you're going to go out for lunch with a friend and you tell them what place it is and they're like, "Can you send me the address?" It's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have Google. Just Google it." Right. We all have you, Google. You now. can find it out. Yes. And then when you get when you get your chance to go in there, uh, when you get your chance, go in there and do your best. Like do your best. Then keep going back and doing the open mic. If you're doing well, people will begin to notice. When I first moved to Nashville, now I already had an inn at Zany's a bit, but I didn't move here and they go, get in here and start featuring for us. Get in here. I did the showcases like everyone else. Chad Ryden used to book a showcase. Chad Ryden and friends at Zany's Nashville. And Chad was very nice to me when I moved here. He's still nice to me. But he's very nice to me when I moved here and he, he put me on that showcase. And we went out, and one of the showcases I did, this is no reflection on Chad, but one of the showcases we did had about 
20 people in the audience. Zany seats 300. That's a small audience, and everyone on the show made reference to it. And I went out, and I was like, you know what? I want to work this club. So I just went out, and I did my best no matter what. And I got laughs. People began to notice. And then eventually I got to host. And then eventually I got to feature. And now I run my own show at Zany's. It's all a building. No one handed it to me. Be patient. Don't get too eager. Just be seen doing well. Invite your friends. Go to the club. Hang out and watch comedy. Show that you enjoy watching and being a part of the scene. Be polite to the staff of the club. Tip well. Don't get wasted. Don't cause trouble. Don't try to hook up with people that work at the club. Do whatever you want, but that can be risky. Now, I I might hear people listening going, well, the reason I want to do comedy is because I want to get wasted. I want to cause a little trouble, and I'd like to hook up with some comedy club waitresses. That's your own business. You do that if you want, but I'm just telling you that can be risky, and and a wrong move um, is... uh, can, can cost you. I mean, there's a couple of terms, but I can't think of any of them without vulgarities. But uh, Don't defecate where you eat. Yeah, and then the other one was keep your keep your dick out of your paycheck, as I say. Ooh, I never heard that one. <laughs> okay, that one's just for guys, I think. Yeah, that's what, that's what they used to say to us. And uh, But uh, so become friends with people at the club if you can. Don't try and fake a friendship. To get, to, a, to get stage time, be a regular person and treat people at the club like regular people and slowly develop a friendship. Now, I'll say this. I've been to clubs where people weren't very nice to me and they weren't very friendly. But you know what? Once I got to know them, once I spent time around there, once they saw me be funny, they opened up. And, and some of the meanest people in clubs uh, became my friends. And, and it's because you know a lot of times there's a big turnover rate. This can be the same in any restaurant. There's a huge turnover rate, and when you get in there, no one's nice to you. When I started at Hyman's, almost no one was nice to me. But I stayed there for so long, everyone in the place became my friends. And the reason they weren't nice to me, as I saw over the years, is that some people would come in there and work one or two shifts and just quit. Now, maybe that's because no one was nice to them, but you almost kind of earned your stripes, as they say. Uh, Some people will call this... All right, what I've just said, become friends with people, develop relationships. Some people will call this kissing ass, right? Social climbing. Right. But it's really just being a normal person that is getting to know their colleagues and not expecting too much too fast. Yeah, and I think social climbing is a word people who are bitter that they are not far ahead use to describe other people. I think like... If you're if you're a, a, a likable person and talented, I mean that could be easily t- determined to be social climbing. I mean it's just like, and if you're good at social climbing, good. Right. I mean it, I don't I don't hate on people that make friends and you know work their way up that way. I mean it's like that's right. that's a way to go too. And for me, becoming friends with people that work in a comedy club is a joy to me, right? Because. I like comedy. The people that I hang out with are comics. I like hanging with comics. I like hanging with comedy club managers. Weirdly, now that I've done so many comedy festivals, I like hanging with managers and agents and TV people, right? Like, I know a lot of people seem to hate that sort of stuff. They call that networking. But I'm like, 
I used to sell pesticides, and I used to go in these annual sales meetings, and it's like that's almost what a comedy festival feels like to me. Like you're talking with people that are in your industry. You're talking about things. I'm not in there trying to make friends with people that work at NBC so that they can give me a TV show. I'm genuinely interested in their jobs and hearing about what they're up to, and they're interested in hearing about me. It's like once you get into these things, it becomes fun. I mean – that's great, and I like that natural affability yeah, that you I mean, have, Dusty. Lucy that works at Zany's, who manages Zany's, is, uh, has done so much to help me in comedy, but Lucy is also my friend. She's been to my house. We've hung out. We've gone to uh, dinners and lunches. and you know, I've gotten I, drunk with her. Yeah. I took Lucy uh, the first time I was on The Tonight Show with me to The Tonight Show. I mean, yeah, she's helped me uh, so much, but... She's also my friend, you know, uh, and also she dates Aaron Weber, who's also one of my best friends. I don't know if he considers me that, but but he's one of my best friends. <laughs> I always like to say that in case someone's listening and they're like, nah, we're not that close. <laughs> All right. So once the club starts to use you for things, show them that you can be consistently good. Let them see that you, they can count on you and trust you. These are my rules. I got a few rules here that I wrote down. Don't take risk on stage at first. Take risk now at bar. Like once you get into the clubs, don't take the risk in the clubs. Take the risk now at bar mics and bar shows. Sorry, there's a fire truck going by. The club is for your polished material at first. Right? Does this make sense? Yes. You've been doing bars and open mics for a while. Now you're getting into the clubs. Don't go right in there treating it like an open mic, uh, even if it is an open mic. Get, get, go into the open mic at the club the first few times doing material that you know works. Try to make a name for yourself. Try to let them know that you're good. Then you can start to build on that. And once you get out of the open mic into uh, hosting, now treat the open mic like an open mic. And then when you move from hosting to featuring, now when you're hosting, you can treat that a little bit more like an open mic. You can try out a few things. And then as once you become a feature, then you start to work in your new jokes in amongst your set. Does this all make sense? Yeah. Avoid confrontations with audience members. If you're hosting, a little fun crowd work can be a fun way to open the show. But crowd work gone wrong that leads to bad reviews or bad comment cards can be bad news for you. Like if you walk people, if you get into a confrontation with a person and you walk them, that's going to look bad on you. If they leave you a bad comment card, that's going to look bad on you. And if they leave a bad review to the club and mention you by name, you're probably not going to work there anymore unless you have a strong, strong relationship with them. Um, And that being said... This is what I used to do. When I was hosting, I would go uh, – I would tell them about the comment cards. I'd say, hey, we got comment cards on the table, you know. And I'd say, and hey, and if you like what I've done up here tonight, my name's Dusty. If you don't, my name's Bill. <laughs> right? It's a cheesy joke. But people used to write my name down all the time that they liked me. Uh, don't get too drunk. You can get drunk and it, you can – no. You can drink and encourage the audience to drink. The club will like you more if you're selling drinks. And that's true because they're trying to make money too. But don't get drunk. Don't get wasted. Uh, my friend, uh, maybe I shouldn't give away her secret. But my friend Julius Goggins, way back in the day, she did a tequila shot every show, and uh, because she would she would get the audience to order a tequila shot, and she would do a tequila shot every show. Later, she told me she goes, "Oh, that's just water in there, or that's just sweet tea, or something." She was like, "I don't." Yeah, she's like, "I can't drink like that on stage." 
And so just a tip, but it would help the club sell drinks. Be on time. To this day, I show up 30 minutes before showtime. Who knows? That may change later, but even as the headliner, most of the time I beat the feature and uh, the host to the club. I'm just on time. I want to be on time. I'd rather be on time than late. Plus, I like being in the club, especially if I'm on the road. I'm hanging out in my hotel all day. By the time I, by the time show's starting, I'm like, let's get in there. Let's get in that club environment. Let's start feeling that energy. I love being there around that. You know, I like that joy that you bring to the club. Yeah, I love hearing the audience chatter from the green room while I'm waiting for the show to begin. You're just hearing the audience, knowing that they're excited, they're pumped, they're geared to be there. Sometimes you can really tell if it's going to be a good show based on how much they're chattering. Yeah. Be ready to adjust. You may be asked to do more or less time on the spot. Be ready. You may be suddenly asked to be clean or to avoid a topic. It happens. Be ready. Uh, I drove from Nashville to New Mexico to open for Broken Lizard. Uh, I don't know if this is a rule, but... uh, Oh, oh, this is just a part to that be ready. I drove from Nashville to New Mexico to open for Broken Lizard, the guys who uh, made the movie Super Troopers and and as, as well as others. I thought I was doing 30 minutes. I got I got there and they asked me to do ten, hmm. and I was so mad because I had drove a long way just to open for them. Now I did shows along the way, but I was so mad. But I just adjusted. I did my ten and I didn't complain. But I'll tell you what I did do. They had a person that worked at the club selling their merch. I made friends with that girl, and so my CDs. She sat my CDs right next to their merch, and when people would come up and ask. Uh, for merch, she would go, shirts are 20, posters are 20, CDs are 10. And people just bought my CDs like like hot fire. Oh, that's a great. You're smart. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? You're charming and you're smart. Because I was a little, I was upset, one, because I thought, you know, hey, here's a chance to maybe make friends with Broken Lizard. I was naive and new at the time and didn't realize that that's not really how it works. But I thought I could make friends with them and and impress them with my comedy but i only did 10 minutes and they didn't even watch so but we did two shows i did 10 minutes each and i sold almost all my cds all right so be trying all right all right so that that applies to getting into your local club now next be trying this same method in other clubs in or around your city try to get to try to get on out of town open mic showcases and competitions in other cities Email them telling them who you are along with a photo and video and ask to showcase for them. If they make you drive, ask someone to watch you. Like if the club is like, uh, okay, yes, come showcase or come do this local showcase, come do this open mic. And if you – and if you, oh, I said if you make the drive, not if they make you drive. If you make the drive, ask someone to watch you. It's okay to do that. Email them and go, hey – uh, thank you. I'd love to come. I'm, I'm definitely going to come. Can you have someone watch me uh, so that you know so that this will mean something? Because 90% of the time, this has led to a booking for me. Uh, I don't really know percentages, but I'd say I did this about 10 times, and I only know once when it didn't work. And when people watch me and I do well, they go, okay, we like you, we'll book you. Only one time did they watch me, and I showed up. This was at a club in Milwaukee called Comedy Cafe, and I did a Thursday night. There was one table in the room, four ladies. I had five minutes. I did not make them laugh a single time. Wow. And I said to the guy, I was like, 
I went to the guy who was watching and I was like, I was like, listen, I can't imagine why you would book me after this, but I'd still like to be booked here, you know, and I never got booked. Imagine that. Uh, so, but that has worked almost every other time. There's a lot of clubs where I've worked my way up from guest spot to headliner by taking that approach. But you got to be ready and you got to ask for someone to watch you. Don't demand it. Ask for it. I did have one club. I did an open mic at uh, Helium in uh, St. Louis. And I had a whole thing set up. It was all set up. I was going to headline the open mic. The person was going to watch me. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go to the girl at the beginning and I say, hey, I'm going to make up a name. I say, hey, uh, Frank said that you would watch me and then you could report to him. She goes, yeah, okay, no problem. And then I do my showcase, and then it went pretty well. Uh, and I go up to her, and I go, hey, did you get a chance to watch? She goes, no, nah, I didn't really get it. I was doing some other things. I was like, oh, because Frank had said that uh, you were going to watch me. And she goes, yeah, he does all the booking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so you don't know what I'm saying at all. And uh, so I didn't get booked there either. All right, be prepared to get rejected and ignored. But continue to email once a month, not more, with your picture, your most up-to-date bio, and up-to-date video. Send three months of available weekends. Be polite, patient, persistent. Send it so often they begin to recognize your name, but seldom enough to not be annoying. That's why I say once a month. If you do once a month, every month for six months, they'll remember you. They'll remember your consistency. They'll get to know your name. They'll go, you know what? Let's watch this guy's video. Um, You are most likely not as good as you think you are, And hopefully, not as good as you're going to be. This is a process, not magic. You are slowly building a list of contacts and colleagues for years to come. Burning one bridge could negatively affect you for years to come. I said years to come a couple of times in there. I've done some things I wish I didn't do. I've said some things I wish I didn't say. And I've sent some emails that I wish I didn't send. But I've apologized to people and I've tried to learn from it. But telling, telling, quote unquote, telling someone off... On the internet is nothing but red flags for everyone to not book you. Meaning if you have a bad show or if somebody does you wrong in an email or this or that, um, it's uh, everyone sees it. You think no one sees it. Everyone sees it. And then they don't want to book you. I actually one time I emailed a club uh, at, to follow up after doing a weekend saying, hey, you know, I'd love to come back. And they emailed me back asking for the an email of another comic. And I was like, okay, well, at least they're getting back to me. Uh, the first step here is to start getting yourself introduced and in, in a positive way to clubs. And if you work your way up, it will mean more. It, it always will mean more. You have a relationship and a bond now with those clubs because you worked your way up. You've gotten to know them. Um, get used to driving long distances for little or no money and no hotel. Couchsurfing.com, Airbnb, and IgniteHospitality.com. Do you know that website, actually? Which one? Ignite Hospitality. Yes, just Ignite. I'd like to. I'd like to check that to make sure that's that's true. Will you look that up? I'm going to get that. I'm going to continue on, but I'm going to get that because Ignite Hospitality is a guy named Adam Wagner. He'll get you hotels. You got to write reviews online, and uh, it may seem embarrassing, but he's gotten me so many cheap hotel rooms. Uh, there were, there were good hotel rooms, but for almost nothing. And I'll, I'll make sure I get that by the end. You are just getting a taste of the road right now. But making a name for yourself amongst clubs and bookers is very important. It's your foundation. It won't 
I won't give out emails here, but there are five chains that I know about. Uh, Funny Business, Comedy Zone, Looney Bin, Bonkers, and the Funny Bone slash Improv Chains. Find out how to get in touch with these bookers and submit to them a video. Uh, Submit them a video. They run lots of clubs in the Southeast and Midwest and beyond, and those chains taught me how to work the road. I'll say them again. uh, Funny Business, Comedy Zone, Looney Bin, Bonkers with a Z, and the Funny Bone slash Improv Chains. I have their emails. I'm not going to give them to you uh, because I had to find them on my own. Um, and, it, and it'll mean more if you do. You find them and don't say that I recommended you because I didn't. Um, but just get in there. Start sending them an email. Send your photo. Send a video. And, and, and start building that because you're learning skills. It doesn't mean as much to just get it. You're learning skills right now, and that's going to be better for you in the long run. Um uh, you're just getting a taste. Believe me, the road gets longer, harder, and but more rewarding. If you follow these steps along with, along with comedy festivals, you will be building yourself quite a foundation. Keep working on your jokes, getting better and better. Write more and more about yourself and less about divisive topics. Be nice to people. That's it. Be nice to people. Next week, uh, it'll be step... Uh, next week is step eight, hosting and featuring... Working the road. Actually working the road. All right, so... That's a website on there. Oh, okay. The website is ignitehospitalityservices.com. Uh, ignitehospitalityservices.com. Thank you for looking that up. You're Hannah. welcome. Uh, Hannah looked that up. She is a uh, producer of the podcast now. <laughs> and uh, so I hope that's helpful. Uh, and also, uh, next up, you know, we have Rick Roberts right after this. Listen to that because uh, that's got a lot more helpful tips in it. I hope this is helpful. We don't have time for the music. And um... these are the comedians we like. But I, I do want to say comedy that I've been listening to. Uh, comedy that I've been listening to right now. I. Featured, I opened for Fortune Feimster while in Montreal. I purposely left that out of this uh, because she is working on her new hour. And I got to tell you, it was amazing. I've worked with her in the past, and I've always found her to be funny. But the hour that she's working on right now is truly, uh, really, really funny. And I loved it. I, I think she's a really nice person. I've worked with her several times. She's very nice. And uh, I thought she was hilarious. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, maybe, Is that a real name, Fortune? I don't know. I never ask people mm. if things are their real names or not. But I, I guess you get that a lot, too. I do get that a lot. But that's it. Um, so That's it for now. That's it for now, and we appreciate you tuning in. Yes, we do. Please listen up, because uh, we're having a good time. Well, we're having a very good time, in fact. Yeah, and uh, go on YouTube, watch that video of me in the private plane. And then, because uh, it's a very fun video, Hannah helped me with it. And uh, that's why it's probably the funniest one. Hannah helped oh, me. Oh, I don't know. Hannah helped me and critiqued my jokes. Well, and uh, That's so, what I'm good for. I'm good for a little critique over here. So that's it. So we're having a good time. And stay tuned for our special guest, Rick Roberts. All right. Here we are at the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Special guest, Rick Roberts. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Oh, I'm so excited. I just, before uh, we started this, I got a text from our friend Brian Bates, 
And he said, I had a dream that I was house-sitting for you and Hannah. You had $5 billion in a safe. (laughs) While I was house-sitting, I had a few friends over. When they left, the money was gone. You weren't too happy about it when I told you. So (laughs) that has nothing to do with the podcast, but... I like that he's dreaming that you have money and not him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and that he got it stolen. Yeah. (laughs) Brian, you should just dream that you got like a a half a million in the bank, and it's in your apartment. Right. What kind of safe did I have that my friends could just go in there and get it? And with that kind of money, why are you hiring Brian Bates to house it? (laughs) You should have like armed security in here. That's true. With $5 billion, I'm like, Brian, can you come hang out? Yeah, you can have a party. <laughs> Brian dreams other people's dreams. <laughs> Which, and sometimes I look at Brian like, man, he's living the dream. Yeah. He's living my dream. Oh, yeah. It's crazy, man. Everybody's got their own thing. Yeah. I mean, Brian's living the dream. Yeah. I think. Yeah. We're all having a good time. Yeah, different here. dreams. Yeah. But I think this is the one that he likes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't understand what a better dream would be than to just do comedy. I, I mean, really. That's the ultimate goal for once you step your toe into this thing. And it starts working, uh, you really can't see it any other way back. So, yeah, to be able to do it full-time, blessing, dream, whatever you want to call it, it's, uh, it's a gift. Yeah, I think that if you uh, have been doing comedy for a while, you can forget what it was like to do those other jobs that you had before. All you need to do, especially if you're, if you're, going, if you're full-time, you've been at it for a while, like you have, or I have, or people we know have been doing it for a decade or so, or whatever, just go back and look at the old pay stubs. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. You know, I, I never had a job where I was killing it. I only had a job for really about a year when I got out of college. I wow. I had a couple of jobs, but none of those, were, I wasn't crushing it. So you've been doing comedy full-time since, for a long time. Since 92 or 91. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, th- like three decades, almost. Wow. So you've been doing, I was living in a trailer when you were doing comedy full-time. But you were born. I was born. Okay. Yes, I was born. Yes. <laughs> How old are you? I, I was uh, in '91. I would have been uh, nine years old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in '91, I, I'm out at clubs, and you're nine. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I might have been out at clubs too. My, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could have been. I, I used to go to the pool hall with my sister quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. The bowling alley with my mom. You, ha- you were having a great time back then. <laughs> yeah, that's nine. right. Yeah, I've been there. I was just talking with Hannah today about how my uh, mom was a big Alan Kowicki fan, and he used to drive the Hooters car in NASCAR. And so when Alan Kowicki would come to the local Hooters to sign autographs, I would get to go down there and hang out with the Hooters girls. And I was like 10. This was probably 92. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, he died. And right. uh, that, that that was ruined. Now, out of that bunch, the Hooters girls and you, were you the only 10? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know how I got in. I mean, I guess it's a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, we're in the Hooters girls' tents. <laughs> yeah. No, no. not Sevens. Oh. Wait. <laughs> I'm confused. But... Uh, <laughs> You were oh. 10, but were they a 10? Oh, well, you know what? To a 10-year-old, they probably were. Back then, they did feel like 10s. I've been, I actually did the Raleigh, North Carolina, the improv there over uh, New Year's. And when I, I left, by the time I left, I didn't want to go party, but I went back to my hotel and I wanted to get some food. The closest place was a Hooters. So I went, me and the feature went over to Hooters and rang in the New Year's, and it was pretty sad in there. I bet. <laughs> I mean. I bet it was really sad. <laughs> Bunch of guys, no dates or anything. And uh, then the girls working weren't the top of the line Hooters girls, so they would have had the night off. Yeah. So it was probably just across the board, just kind of misery. Yes, it was. <laughs> and then, yeah. And dry I mean, wings. Just yeah. Like, and I'm married, and, and the guy, the feature with me, his girlfriend was there. So we weren't, we just wanted food. I had a salad, I think, in the Hooters. That's that's a sad New Year's. Yeah. No wings, just a salad. 
some comic has a, a joke. I wish I could remember who it was talking about. You know, you really like chicken when you go to Hooters and get it to, to go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, nobody's going there and carrying it out. Yeah, either that or you really like the girl that runs the uh, takeout. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so just let's maybe I should set this up. We did a bit of a, a, a joke thing here, but uh, Rick Roberts, uh, I've been on your podcast for the School of Laughs podcast. Uh, it was the podcast that I've done that I got the most response from. People, oh, great! People really listened to it, and they told me that they really enjoyed it. Uh, so, and I've listened to your podcast quite a bit. It's uh, it's great. It's on um, iTunes. It's on all of them. On yeah. all of them. Yes, uh, as it should be. It's always – I just looked up somebody's podcast the other day. I was going to download it to listen, and they didn't have it on iTunes. <laughs> like that's, the, that's the first place you got to go. Yeah. Why, I was like, why is this not on here? But you also run comedy class. I do some comedy classes, yeah. You do online and in, in person. Right. So, yeah, some people can't get here or are in other countries, so the online thing helps them out. And I think having the live experience, though, it's the best way you, to go if you can do it. Yeah. And so I do those here in Nashville. Yeah, I used to do them quite a bit. Now I can do the series of classes maybe three times a year. So yeah. Every two or three months. Yeah, I mean, that's – and so with this series that I'm doing on how to become a comic, uh, I don't expect you to give away uh, free things. But uh, I just want to kind of talk to you about comedy classes. And because I had said before that uh, I never took a stand-up comedy class, and I used to always say I never took a comedy class. But that's not true. I took – probably five or six improv comedy classes and i feel like although they might not have taught me specific stand-up things it definitely taught me things that i feel like that i use in Mm stand-up just about how to be on stage and how to i don't know uh they really taught me to not wear any logos on stage i don't know if that's a hard (laughs) rule but i never do now i always yeah i always say don't let your shirt be funnier than you right so many guys used to come out with joke shirts on and i'm like nah I, yeah, when I was working, the road guys would come out with their merch shirts on oh. to do a thirty-minute commercial. Hey, you like the shirt? By the way, I'm selling them after. Oh after yeah. The show. Oh, I've seen that. You know? I've seen that. And then I realized what he was also doing is he never had to do laundry because he would just probably sell that one and then put on a clean one out of the box the oh, next that's day. That's true. And so, yeah, kind of genius, but not the place you want to be all the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I also don't. I like the reveal of my merch shirt. You know, I don't want to be wearing it the whole time. No, and I always think too. If you're going to sell a shirt, the shirt should get a laugh when you show it. Yes. And it should be a joke that people who didn't even see the show can laugh at so their friends can get the laugh that you got when they were to work or to a party. Right. I agree with that. I never could find that, but I have a wolf shirt and a NASCAR shirt that I think people enjoy. Well, if they sell at a fair, they also sell after a comedy show. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. That's true. Right? That is true. <laughs> so it doesn't matter that it says Dusty Slay on it. It's like, this is a NASCAR shirt. This is a wolf shirt. Yeah. And they look cool. Like, you know, there's always going to be a market for cool shirts. In blue-collar towns especially. I don't yes. know what your experience is, but I would sell so many shirts like in Cleveland or Birmingham. I would go to a town where it was a little more or, – or the club was in a more upscale part of town. Right. And so I realized, oh, these people aren't buying shirts because they can't wear them to work tomorrow. Well, that's true. These are bankers and whatever. Right. But, but if you're selling them in like a third market or whatever, yeah, they can wear them to work tomorrow. So it's like 
it's it's something they can actually put to use. How the rich stay rich. That's right. They don't have out buying shirts. See, my family used to go to NASCAR races, and then we would buy a shirt, not only for us, but my mom would want to be like, well, I got to get something for your grandmother. I got to get something for your uncle. And, you know, we spend two, $300 on shirts, when and we live in a trailer. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like It's like, maybe let's save that T-shirt money. Yeah. We're spending our whole check. So, all right, so... Um, on this thing, I mean, my goal is to try to help people to uh, become better comics, to figure out how to become better comics. So let's say this. All right, say, how, how would somebody determine if they should take a comedy class? Okay, so I think there's two kinds of people. There's probably a lot more than that, how many people in the world. But there's, there's so when many. it comes to classes, there's people who want to, to learn it in a condensed, short amount of time. And for people who want to take a class from somebody that's done it, I would, I would always advise taking a comedy class from somebody who is still actively gigging. Right. Or maybe they just came off of, I don't know, you know I can't think of examples of people that just stopped doing stand-up, but they're still teaching. But if they're not doing it on stage on a regular basis, I don't. they might still have some good advice, but I would prefer to go to somebody that's doing it. Right. Because – even in the amount of time you've been doing comedy, you've seen waves and changes. and Absolutely. Even the style of comedy is, has morphed. Unfortunately, I think, from Set Up Punch, I got a lot of laughter in that show to meandering around, trying to find the punchline and making the crowd do the work. You know, there's comics that work it all out on stage and don't prepare anything before they go up. Not even the idea, you know. So, all that being said... The teacher should know what the current situation is in in the clubs and the different places where he can work and know it's working. And so people who want to learn that from somebody who's doing it and they want to learn it in a short amount of time, can they absorb all the information right out of the gate? No. Can they apply it all right out of the gate? No. But at least they'll know what the parts, the structure of the comedy are, the techniques. That's the big thing that I teach in my classes. I didn't know 10 years in, I was doing, I was a pro for 10 years. I didn't know why people were laughing. If it worked, I would do it again. Right. And when I moved here, Brian runs the club. He said, man, can you teach a comedy class? Because we got people walking out of open mic night. Like The open micers are walking the crowd. They're so bad. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're up there for five minutes. They never get to a laugh or they're cussing. I, you know. He goes, can you just teach a class? And I was like, man, I don't know. He goes, well, do you know why your jokes are funny? And I'm like, I do not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he challenged me. He goes, why don't you watch a video of your set, and every time somebody laughs, pause it, and then go back and write why they laughed. Not just because the joke was funny. Why was the joke funny? What triggered their laughter? Okay. That's and, amazing advice. Well, you know, I don't even know if he realized what he was doing at that time. But he, So I was pretty much featuring all the time at that point, headlining some B-rooms or whatever. But I, I did what he said. I went back and looked at a full one-hour show, and every time they laughed, I would pause it. And if they should have laughed, but they didn't, I'd pause it too. And I'd look and try to figure out why, because at that time I still had shows where most all the jokes worked, but a couple that worked last night didn't work tonight, and then they worked tomorrow night. And I just called them floater jokes. They're just not. Well, I realized after doing this exercise that the jokes that work sometimes, but not every time, were all jokes based in attitude, but no technique. So when I deliver what I thought was a punchline, there really was no punch word. It was I was hoping they they identified with my tone or my delivery or the sarcasm to get the laugh. In some shows, they were right there with me, and they did. But some shows, they, they didn't have that personality. And so I realized that joke needs a technique, too, not just an attitude. 
And so I went through, isolated 17, 18 different things. I call them laugh triggers that make people laugh when comics tell jokes. But then I looked at other comics and realized, oh, yeah, they're using them too, maybe different terminology or whatever. But that, for me, was an eye-opening. It took me three months to put this cl- the first version of this class together. But the first thing I taught was, these are why people laugh. Here are jokes with these examples in them from my own act. Here's a template to show you how you can maybe use this phrase to start a joke, and you finish it with your punchline. But just to kind of get them in the process of creating material and understanding that if it doesn't have a technique, it's not done yet. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean... That makes total sense. I mean, because it's it's really hard. Because that's what I always say is like I say when you're writing your joke, you write where you think it's going to be funny. You're like, this is where I want it to be funny, and then when you say it on stage, pause to give the audience an opportunity to laugh. It, if they don't laugh, that can be really hard because you're like, okay, this is where I wanted them to laugh. They didn't laugh, but at least you know. That's, Some, that's the key to everything. Yes. And I don't want people who are hearing this for the first time thinking about getting into comedy to miss that. All you need to focus on when you start with your material, when, when you're on stage, when you're at that point telling your jokes for the first time, it's a laboratory. It's an experiment. You're looking for a reaction, a chemical reaction. It could be laughter, and that's a successful experiment. It could be silence. That's still a result from the experiment. Right. So you know where to go and tweak and make changes. Yeah. So any reaction, whether it's silence, laughter, a groan, cheering, applause, you take note of that and you change what you don't like and fix, you know, keep adding to what you had success with. Yeah. But if you go in there thinking, they didn't laugh, they hate me, and I didn't get past this till 14 years in. If they don't laugh, they hate me, then you're not going to enjoy it ever. Right. But 14 years in, you know, I started... I was on the road all the time when I came back and my wife had a, our first kid I started hitting some open mics again and I found myself going and doing stuff that I already knew worked on the road because I thought the expectation of hey this guy's a headliner and he's teaching a comedy class he better be funny and so for two or three years I really wasn't trying too many jokes out at open mic yeah because I still had the mind frame of if they if they don't laugh they don't like me so I'm going to make sure they laugh and as soon as I got past that I mean, I can't even tell you how fast things accelerate as far as writing and getting more material and all that. It's an experiment. Look for the reaction. Don't process yeah. it as hate towards you. Yeah, I, I mean, I find that every time I get up to a new level, a little bit of that fear comes back where I'm like, you know, if I'm hosting, I'm like, okay, well, I can mess around a little bit. I'm comfortable here. And then I move up to feature, and I'm like, well, now I'm the feature. I can't be messing around. Right. And then I get to where I can, and then I move to headliner, and I'm like, well, i got to be the best. Mm-hmm. I, got, I have to be the best person on this show. And then you get to a place where you're like, you know, you get comfortable with everything that you're doing, and you can try out new things. But I see people that they don't know where the laugh is supposed to come. Mm-hmm. But they just, they're just telling the story, and they never get laughs. And even points where they would get a laugh, they talk over it. So the audience may be interested in what they're saying, but they stop talking so that they can um, – or, the, or the audience stops laughing so that they can continue to listen. Right. And I'll tell you, that, that makes me think of a great piece of advice I got from a comic named Jason Dixon – who I believe is a manager of one of the Funny Bones or something else. He is the uh, Richmond Funny Bone. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Yeah. We worked many times together, and one week he was headlining. I was featuring in Louisville at the time as the comedy caravan. And 
maybe the second or third night, he's like, Rick, are you open for some advice? I'm like, anything. Because I really I respected his comedy, and he was crushing and just funny. He goes, you're talking about 50% too fast. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I listen to you. I think you've got five or six applause breaks in that feature set of yours, but they never get a chance to applaud because you move on to the next joke. He goes, would you consider Thursday night slowing it down 50%? Do you he said, just as an experiment. I'm like, man. In the back of my head, I'm like, he doesn't want me to get too many laughs. That's what it is. Because <laughs> I, I, was, I was like this when I was doing 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, even when I was doing a, a full headliner set, it was like a laugh every eight seconds. Like, But it was never a full laugh. Yeah. And it never led to an applause break because just what you said. And he explained it like this. When you're on stage, you're having a conversation with the audience. You speak. They laugh. When they're done laughing, you speak again. Or as the laughter trails off, right? He goes, what you're doing is you're speaking. They laugh, and you, you start speaking again before they've even hit the peak of their laughter. Yeah. So that Thursday night, I went up there, and I probably didn't slow it down to 50%, but it, it felt really slow to me. Yeah. And by the 10-minute mark, I had three applause breaks that I had never had before. Wow. And I looked at him in the back of the room. He's just smiling. Like, he was proud and happy for me. Yeah. He knew what I didn't know, and I was able to listen to him, and I had the best shows uh, that whole year, that week, and then I probably picked up the pace a little bit every week after that, and you know found a happy medium down the road. I still think I go too fast on stage, but I know he's right. And what you were saying is, if you talk over your laugh, then you're you're teaching the audience not to laugh long. Yeah, and that's uh, another thing that you say in there is I think it's a great point is that like you don't have to listen to everyone but sometimes if people are sharing advice with you they're seeing you from off the stage and they may have a, t a hot take it's like people give me t I've had audience members give me tags before most of the time they're not good right but every once in every a while I'm like oh that's funny yeah and it's even probably funnier because it didn't even come from a comedic mind yeah it came from an observer. Yeah. Who sat there, they probably thought of it as soon as you said the joke and they marinated on that for like 15, 20 minutes till you got off stage before they could tell you. Yeah. So I have a thing, one of the techniques I talk about is a nonlinear thought. So if the, it's a thought that makes sense, but it takes kind of a second for the audience to process why it makes sense to you and so why it should make sense to them. Okay. And it's really hard to write those from your own point of view because it's going to be congruent with your own point of view. But when a tag is given to you by a, com a comedian or an audience member, it's not something you would have ever thought of on your own, probably. And so when you say it, the audience is like, where did that come from? Like, it's an extra bonus surprise. Like, they opened a gift, and there was a gift inside of the gift. Oh, yeah. But you couldn't have done it because you only wrap it once with the way you do things. Yeah. So a non I call it a nonlinear thought. Um, like, I'll give you a quick example from okay. my show. Yes. So I saw a commercial Walmart has a program called Trucker Buddies where – Third grade classes can become pen pals with Walmart truck drivers. Does that sound like a good idea to anybody? And the audience will laugh. I'm like, truck drivers don't need the extra paperwork. And so, you know, so I've, I just shifted oh, yeah. the, I, the weight of the joke, not on Walmart, but the truck drivers doing paperwork. Right, and also not the idea that it's weird that some third grader has a pen pal with a trucker. Right. It's all about the right. trucker doesn't need that extra work. Right. And then I come back to the third grade class. I'm like, maybe that would be beneficial. Like, uh, 
Dear truck driver, last week we went to the uh, playground, had Kool-Aid, took a nap. What did you do? Dear third grade class, last week I picked up some hitchhikers, falsified some documents, and killed a hooker. <laughs> and then <laughs> third grade class response, dear trucker, you misspelled falsified. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, it's, it's the taking the audience off balance of where they think the weight of the joke is and the emphasis of the joke and shifting it over. Yeah. You know, much like those jokes where it's uh, – there's another technique that I, I call displacement of time and place. And probably the easiest example is like one of the Larry the Cable Guy jokes where he's like, the other day I was like, Grandma, I really miss your cooking. She's like, shut up, I'm trying to poop in here. <laughs> so he says something, you just assume they're in the house in the kitchen, but he at the end reveals the location is in the, in the bathroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just it's shifting the emphasis of where they think you're going, which is the essence of all comedy, but when you do it, kind of middle of your show to later on where they kind of recognize your normal cadence and your normal style when you put some of those non-linear things in there some of those mis- misplaced time and location it, it throws them off yeah so it's like a second or third or fifth or sixth gear all of a sudden yeah yeah see I like to add a bunch of tags you know I love to add tags and I sometimes I was at a show in Atlanta I was doing a show at the Punchline and it was a late show and there was a guy in the audience who kept like saying my punchlines right he wouldn't say them loud enough to where the audience could hear but i could hear that he would so it, you know he would get a lot of them right but whenever he wouldn't get one right like there's a joke where i i make a call back to everything that i've just said like a, every kind of punchline and then he he knew he was ready he was on all those <laughs> yeah. and then i had a fourth one that i threw in big laugh from the audience and then i looked at him and i was like you didn't see that one coming, <laughs> did you that's great <laughs> yeah yeah that's great so it's like, yeah, it's it's nice to because people can, if they're really paying attention, they can get into your rhythm and figure out what you're doing. Yeah, and it's really easy to forget that you your job is to to surprise them, you know. Yeah. And so when you get into that rhythm, I kind of feel like the twelfth, fifteenth minute somewhere in my hour long set that I've kind of got this cadence going, and I catch myself with it and switch it up. I'm like, okay, that's it's it's going to be predictable. Yeah. And so that. 12, 15th minute, I'll, th- I'll throw in a story that changes all the rhythm and then go back to the setup punch rhythm a little bit more. Okay. You know what I mean? Just to kind of keep them guessing and kind of, not that you wear them out with setup punch, but sometimes they, they're like, man, I've been laughing hard for 15 minutes. A story that's still funny and still has jokes is good. Is a good call right now. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, and that's what I've been, you know, you know, I've been headlining for for a little bit, but you know, mainly I've been headlining for like two years, right? And um, I've been doing some other stuff here and there for a while, but uh, in clubs about two years, and it's like I'm just I feel like I'm 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 really kind of figuring out the headlining set. I mean, because it is different than just doing an hour of jokes, and then so it's like sometimes if you're just set up punch, set up punch, set up punch. The audience can get wore out. Mm-hmm. So if you just do, especially if the host and the feature were really good, I mean, you got a super funny show. People are just tired of laughing. So I find that if I can throw in a story without so many punches, uh, it can still, it can it changes up the rhythm, mm-hmm. gives them a second to breathe. Yeah, headlining is a whole, it's funny, like when you're featuring, you're typically bringing your A game every single night because you want to move up to headline, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's you the feature spot, you probably should be trying more material out than anywhere else because you've got the most captivated audience. They've they've been served their meal. They've got their drinks in their hand. They're not paying checks. So you should experiment the most in that feature spot. But typically we don't. And then when we get our headlining break because we've been powerfully funny in that 30-minute spot, sometimes 
we still got a powerful 30, maybe 45, but a full hour, we just haven't got there yet because we haven't, you know, juggled two different 30-minute sets. Right. I mean, I don't know, that's the way I was. I got to, When I started headlining, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can do 45 pretty strong, but that last 15, the check drop yeah. and the wrap-up, I got like, I got I got to create multiple closers now, and the last 15 minutes has to be a closer, 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 closer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you first move to that headline spot, you really have one closer, maybe two, you know, longer five-minute bits or whatever. And it takes a lot of figuring out. Yeah, I mean, what what I was experienced because I featured for quite a while, and I would I was always pushing jokes out of the feature set, adding in new ones. So then, when I was headlining, I'm like, all right, now I've got this 30 minutes that I really like, and now I'm going to start bringing back mm-hmm. all the jokes I've been pushing out all this time. So now I'm like doing jokes that I considered not as good. Now I'm pulling them back in. Mm-hmm. But I find that once I take a break from a joke for a while and bring it back into my set. It, I can breathe new life into it. So well, sure, because you're better now too, and you're you're more developed as a storyteller, comedian, joke slinger, yeah, and a crowd manager. Like all that skill that you've gained in these two years, you're adding that old older joke into this new fold, and it's got new life for yeah. sure. And it, yeah, and it and and that feels good. So you have classes online and in person, and we're in Nashville. We're both in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So what? I, and I'll and I'll plug all this stuff otherwise in the podcast but where could they go to find out about these classes if people want to take them sure first thing i would say just the podcast gives gives you tons of information so the reason i started doing the podcast and it's like at 197 episodes or something so gosh probably four years five years into it it's for people didn't have money but they still wanted to try comedy or they didn't have the time to take classes but they still wanted to learn on their own time so you can dig into there. The whole website is searchable, schooloflaughs.com. You can go up to that little magnifying search thing and type in any comedy topic, and it's going to pull up all the podcasts and blog posts that has information around that. Wow. Wow, this podcast may steal, uh, steal all the people that want to listen to my 10 episodes. About well, comedy. I'd say listen to Dusty's 10 first. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, uh, uh, but you have you do talk to a lot of people from with a lot of different perspectives. I mean, I've, I've listened to several people on there, and it's like, you know, I, I know Ed Wiley and, and, and Dale Jones. I've listened to those episodes, and it's like uh, completely different perspectives. Yeah, that's what I like. That, I don't know, the podcast at the beginning, I felt like I was doing it for others. And then I started feeling like, well, I am spending a lot of time on this. As you know, with the podcast, it's not just something you just walk away from for a month and come back. It's like a lot of – so I'm like, what can I do to make it extra interesting to me? And so I would – I always try to find very diverse types of comics. And sometimes I get speakers that come in, sometimes magicians, uh, occasionally some stuff outside of the comedy world, some social media people that can help us promote ourselves better. But every episode, I want to learn at least two or three things myself. And if I figure somebody who's just getting into comedy is listening, they're going to learn those three things plus all the other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Dale Jones, guy I used to work with all the time on the road, and he's just crushing it everywhere he goes. Oh, yeah. And I thought his episode was very insightful and thoughtful. Like, he took the time to prepare for it. Like, he wanted to bring some some stuff, you know? Yeah. And he did. Ed Wiley, same thing, completely other side of the spectrum. He's got a farm full of kids and goats, and he's... You know, he was driving four hours into Atlanta to do open mics and driving home the same night. Just, but it shows the, I guess the the magic of what comedy is. Like, there's so many different things you can do with it. So oh, many yeah. different types of people can use it, and you can use it for so many different types of things. Yeah, 
you know, Dale Jones, uh, I don't know if I heard this on your podcast or if uh, Hannah worked with him one weekend and uh, or somebody, but he said when he started comedy, he was doing zanies, and the manager at the time told him, you come here and you do one, if you can do one minute, that's funny, next week I'll give you two. And then if you can do two funny, then I'll give you three. And he worked his way up, and so that's how Dale said he developed the style that he has where it's just fast punches uh-huh. because he had to be funny in a minute. People will go to open mics, and they'll go, I can't be funny in five minutes. <laughs> and sometimes their introduction is five minutes <laughs> yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, there's so many styles, so I don't want to, like, throw shade on anybody that doesn't fit into this, but – when you first start, you do need to learn how to write a tight joke. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get on stage and you're going to fluff it up anyway. You're going to get a little wordy with it. You're going to slow down. You're going to because you, once you know there's a laugh there, sometimes you take more time to get to it because you're confident the laugh is there. But when you write it, you've got to get it tight. Yeah. And we could talk for a couple minutes. I don't want to go too long. Uh, just the, the writing process. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So this is what I would advise for for new comics. And again, it took me a while to figure this out. It's it may seem obvious to people who have done comedy a little bit already. But I, I, I do what I call the expand, condense, define, refine. So when you have an idea of a topic you want to write about. Like right now I'm trying to write about my wife being thrifty and the things she does to save money. or That doesn't always save us money or time, but it's just her mindset. So I want to brainstorm and expand that concept. I want to talk about her shopping, what she does uh, Fuel-wise, what she does driving, how she, you know, groups errands into batches so she makes one trip out and she goes to 65 places instead of taking 65. Like, every possible way she can be thrifty. Then I want to look like maybe how did her parents influence that on her or how did her going to college influence that. Look at every possible angle. None of that am I editing. I'm just expanding because your brain has two hemispheres. One is creative and one is analytical. When you're trying to write a joke at the beginning, I don't want you to think I have to write a setup and punch and be done. Expand like crazy. And then the next day, go back and edit. So that's condensing. So expand at first. Now we're going to condense. Look through those hopefully five or six pages of jottings you got down and like highlight or circle or underline the stuff that kind of makes you chuckle again the second day. I don't want you to analyze it the first day. Just be creative. Go back in there the second day. Start defining it. And then... Condense it. So you expand. That's the condense. Then define. Look at those different things that made you laugh and say, what am I really trying to say? I'm not sure right now if my setup really is my wife is thrifty. That's where the expansion started. But it might get to the point where I start whittling down and go, she's not thrifty. She's this. And thriftiness is an aspect of that. And so that's defining it. I might go back and write two or three more pages from that new angle because that's really what I was trying to say. A lot of times we don't know what we're trying to say until we say it for two or three, five pages. Yes. Does that make sense? It does make sense because, you know, sometimes I've sat down to write about a specific topic and it led me to a completely different topic that then was more funny mm-hmm. and that became the joke. But it still doesn't mean the other topic that I was trying to talk about is gone. No. no you can go back that and dig into it later, but it took you somewhere that was, at yeah. the time, better or more front of your mind. And I agree in terms of just write. If you got an idea, just write it out. Don't think, is this funny? Just write it down. And sometimes for me, saying it out loud will help just to hear what it sounds like. Oh, yeah. And here's a fun exercise that I used to do 
when I was trying to memorize a five-minute set or something, you know, where I really had to get it down. So, you, you know, you write it out, you've done it on stage, and that's another timing of it, but you're in the car practicing it. Like, I would drive, my first several months of doing comedy, I, I had a day job, got off at 4 o'clock. I'd have to be in Cleveland from Columbus, Ohio, about two-hour drive, in rush hour traffic, two and a half, to get there to sign up for the open mic to go on stage. So the whole time I'm, I'm driving, I'm just like, doing my three minutes, doing my three minutes. And then it kind of gets boring and monotonous because you keep doing it over. So I was like, okay, I'm going to whisper it. I'm going to whisper my act for three minutes. Okay, I made it more interesting. Now I'm yeah. going to scream it. Now I'm going to whisper the setups, yell the punchlines. I'm going to yell the setups, whisper the punchlines. I'm going to do my whole act like Bill Clinton. Hey, man, you know, Walmart <laughs> truck drivers, you know. And I would just find entertaining ways. But sometimes the inflection of somebody else's voice that I'm just trying on just to have fun with it, I'm like, oh, that's the way I should inflect it when I get on stage. So you can't always be on stage and practice a three-minute set a hundred times, but on the way to an open mic three hours away, you can. So in the car, you're just going through it, but keeping it fresh for yourself, saying it. How would Chris Rock do this set? Man, what about these Walmart truck, you know, whatever. But sometimes it just stretches your vocals a little bit till you find little nuances that are funny. Because yeah. they're not the way you normally – you don't walk around every day and everything you say makes people laugh. That's your normal speaking voice. When you're on stage, you're a different version of you, a more hyped-up version of you. Right. A more inter- the most interesting version of you you can be. Yes. Right, because people are sitting there waiting for you to do your thing. So have fun with that practicing of it by doing just different ways. Sing it, whatever. But you've, you're going to learn it so much that you won't forget it. And one of my favorite quotes is, amateurs learn something till they get it right. Professionals learn it till they can't get it wrong. Oh, wow, I like that. I love that. And when yeah. I heard that, I'm like, oh, so a lot of times I was just practicing stuff till I got it right, and I would try it on stage, and it would still fall apart a little bit because I hadn't practiced it till I couldn't get it wrong. Yeah. Well, I like that a lot. I mean, and I, when I first started comedy, I would drive a lot for for a job that I had, and I would always say my sets in the car like that all the time. Even when I first started featuring, when I was going to clubs to feature, I would say my full 30-minute set in the car it it it, my my first cd matter of fact uh making that fudge is 55 minutes long and i remember going to atlanta which was uh two hours and i did the set twice and then on the way home i did it twice again because i wanted to nail that Mm -hmm. i wanted one complete set no cuts and it helped me so much i learned new jokes from that i found callbacks i found new ways to say things just by saying it to myself in the car that's awesome and it reminded me too of another another fun thing once you have like a full set like that a full hour a great exercise is do your show backwards oh wow Cause think about it your your closer except for maybe some callbacks your closer if you put it at the beginning should be strong enough to kick a show off to a pretty hard start and your opening should be strong enough and tell about you enough that it should be able to close a show. You know, might not be as long your opener as your closer is, but if you flip them, and we would do this when I lived in Columbus, we'd flip our sets whether we were doing seven minutes, thirty minutes, an hour. And because you're going a different direction, you have to you some you have opportunities a for more callbacks because that joke has never been after this joke before. It's, I've just always put it up in the beginning of my set. Yeah. Now it's at the 45-minute mark, but other things have happened that I can call back that I never would have seen before because I did it a certain way always, right? Yeah. So it's, it's so much fun. And, you know, some things get a little weird. You have to write new transitions, obviously. Yeah. Because you're going backwards instead of forwards. Um, 
there's just so many fun things you can do once you kind of have it down, but you want to make it to where you can't forget, you know, can't get it wrong. All those things, man. And, and lastly, I, if you go to open mics with somebody a lot, when I first started out, there was about 20 guys, and we ate open mics a week. All of us the same while we'd carpool from one to the other just hauling across town. Once we knew each other's set, we would get up and do each other's set in front of you. Like, I would go up and I'd be Dusty Slay set for seven minutes, me doing Dusty, and then Dusty would do Rick Roberts jokes as Dusty, but telling my jokes. And you would say a couple things a different way and get a laugh than I ever would have just because you'd speak differently. Yeah. And I would get a couple laughs. We, we would trade off like that. And so all my friends and I, we would we saw each other enough that we could do that. And it was the funniest thing. The crowds that would come week after week that knew us, I mean, it was an extra funny thing for them to see. Yeah. Like, wait, does he, you know, does he know that he's doing his jokes? Wait, he's doing his jokes now. Oh, they're both here. They're both doing you. Yeah. It was like a, a game inside a game. Oh, yeah. So comedy can get so monotonous at open mics, late starts, dry, you know, no audience but the comics. So many ways you can make it more fun. Yeah, I mean, we used to do things like that in, in Charleston. You know, not exactly like that, but I, I know my going away show, um, I, I ran an open mic for years there. And it's like my open mics uh, or my last going away show, I started doing a joke from everyone's set. And uh, it was great. I mean, because, you know, I wasn't good at all of them, but people thought it was funny. And it, I think people were amazed that I knew so many jokes. But I was like, I've sat and watched everyone in here. And some people never change it up. Right, right. You know, <laughs> you know, and it's also like a nice pat on the back if, you know, if somebody didn't think they were getting enough respect, knew that you knew their whole bit. Yeah, like that kind of makes them feel good. Oh yeah, you know, I think so. They're part of the crowd. They they have been listened to. Yeah. So you were, um, and you were telling me something before we got on here that you also do online classes. I think I've said that three times on this podcast, but uh, really put, it's <laughs> we'll like, it. it's like you're a sponsor to the, <laughs> to my, my, he does online classes and, uh, but you said that you have people from 29 different countries. Yeah. That was the biggest surprise for me. When I put together the class originally, it was to, to help people like that. I told you out there before, but I had a guy that was flying in from Texas to take the riding class. Four times, four Mondays, he paid for a flight to Nashville and back. And people driving down, lady drove down from Toledo, Ohio, eight weeks in a row. Wow. People from Atlanta, Birmingham, St. Louis area, all kinds of crazy stories about people traveling. And gas was four bucks a gallon. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Not only did I think I could do a version of the class online that would help people out so they wouldn't have to travel, but it would also, A, it would make me look at how I teach differently so maybe I can get better teaching the live class through this process but also a way to connect with people that don't just live in Nashville right and so, so through different speakers associations and Christian comedy associations I knew people that lived all around the country that would never be able to come to Nashville take the class yeah and so recently I was kind of thinking just for those people and I'll have a podcast so people can find out about it but the podcast will be free and all that stuff but third weekend I get uh, a registration from Japan and I'm wow. like, what? And then I'm so dumb, like, Japanese? They're not, it's, it's an English speaking person that lives in Japan. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a Japanese guy going, I would try to learn English. You know? Yeah. No, right. it's just, and then it dawned on me, oh, yeah, people who speak English live all around the world. <laughs> right. Every other country teaches them English so they can come here and take our country away. Yeah. <laughs> which they yeah. should. We're not doing much with it. <laughs> but yeah, 29 countries last time I checked. And, and so the online class has three tiers. Again, to help people out where they're at financially, the the lowest tier 
is like 97 bucks. They have access to it for six months or something like three to six months. And it has 90% of everything in the class. But if they take it on their own, they don't get interaction from me. I figure that's that's a good trade-off, you know, because yeah. it takes a lot of time to review homework. But the next level up, um, 237 I think is what that one costs, they can do all the assignments and then send them to me, and I'll, I'll look at them and go, hey, you're really close here, two already there, I would tighten this up here, and I have them explore each technique. So even the jokes they write in the first few modules, if that's what you call them, they can take the technique they learned in the 15th module and go back and redo the first two, three, everything preceding it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's not just like a course you cycle through once. As you go through the course, you can, you're getting momentum. You're swinging that wheel around and around and around, picking up some velocity, heading in a direction, you know? And then the, the last version of the class, they get all that. They get an hour phone time with me, and I can look at some live video, you know, go a little deeper with them, help them out, kind of whatever they want to talk about for an hour, whether it's writing, performance, business, all that stuff. So I, I just try to set it up to where whatever they needed, they could get it. Yeah. And then it also made sense time-wise for me to spend time with them. Right, because it is a lot of time. I mean, I've had people send me videos just to watch. And, I mean, even if it's a five-minute video, <laughs> if you want to be uh, – because I, I want to help people, right? But I'm like, if I want to actually help you and I sit down and watch a five-minute video, I'm, I'm watch the whole thing. And then I go back and I'm stopping at every joke and trying to share some notes. And I've done that for people and then got some, like, short response, like, 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 hey, thanks. And I'm like, oh, no. Or no response. <laughs> right, right. I just worked yeah. for an hour on this set for you, and you're like, hey, thanks. Right. And I'm like, oh, no. Right. And But also, don't you – I think, too, and I know from a, a, a recent example from my own life, when you have skin in the game, when you've invested in something, you're more likely to follow through on it. Yeah. You know, I've – Right. Because I've given the course to some people for free. You know, just out of the goodness of my heart, I could see they need, you know, they asked for it. They said, I can't afford it. They were dropping all the hits. I'm like, here, just, just take it. They open up two modules and never go through the rest. Yeah. But the people that have paid the full price, they go through all of it, if not once, twice. Right. And people uh, also think that if you uh, take a class, you just, you're just automatically going to be great at comedy. And uh, so uh, what do you say to people who say that you can't teach funny? Right. So I've got a couple of theories on this. And some examples uh, from from what other people think as well. So I think I'm going to relate it to gar- uh, farming. Okay. All right. So a farmer has land. He's got to do something with the land. You've got your mind. You want to use comedy. You're going to have a comedy farm with this mind of yours. All right. You got to have seeds. You got to be planting something. So you've you've got to the seed for the comic is the creative idea. Everybody has some creativity. Some people have loads of it. Some people, it's been a drought for 10 years. But once in 10 years, they got a great idea. It's, it's going to take a lot longer for the guy who's planting one seed a year to have a crop that yields any kind of value. You know what I'm saying? For the person who is creative and wants to nurture that, so a writing class or a writing group with your buddies, that's like fertilizer. You're, getting, you're growing it. You're growing it. You're making bigger pieces of, of material. You're filling up notebooks. You're bringing something to the table. The stage is the sun. That's the spotlight. That's going to make it grow. You're going to learn what's going to work and what's not. Some jokes won't make it. It's too hot. Some jokes won't make it too cold. You know, it's just like yeah. photosynthesis on stage. And then the harvest is when you go and you get paid. Some people can farm, never get paid. Some people farm and go hungry and broke. 
But if they don't have the tools, which is what the class is, they can't even turn the soil. So a comedy class, to me, can take somebody that's got potential, that has creativity, and can show you the tools to make it work. I mean, even a tomato plant only has so many tomatoes until you put a stake in the ground and a cage around it, and all of a sudden it can grow taller and be more structured and take the weight off the limbs and the fruit gets bigger. That's what a class is. It's structured to help you get further down the road. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I've also sat in a room, the green room at Zany's, and uh, there's a comic, well-known comic. He didn't know me at all. It's the first time I bumped into him. He didn't know I taught a comedy class. But there was a little poster in, in the green room that said, comedy classes at Zany's. You know, and a guy was passing through town, kind of an open micer trying to get MC work, and he's like, oh, man, they teach comedy classes here. And the comic goes, man, you can't teach nobody comedy. And he goes, really? He goes, no, man, this guy's just trying to take your money. And the South of Town comic's like, what do you mean? He's like, man, sit down. Let me tell you how comedy works. And for like 40 minutes, he tells him how comedy works. He just taught this guy comedy for 40 minutes, even though you cannot <laughs> teach comedy. And he got, the comic got up and goes, man, that was like a little miniature class. And, and the comic who says you can't teach comedy goes, yeah, I guess it kind of was. And then I go, and I'm the guy that teaches the class here saying this in case you want to know some more. <laughs> and it was just a really funny way for me to see how other people thought about it. Now, obviously, I can't, let's like I can't teach you Michael Jordan ability. You know, you have that and you spend time on it. And he's, he, you know, he maxed out his full potential. LeBron James, same way. You know, you can only do so much. But if you don't have, if you have some skill, you have some talent but no skill, you need to learn the skills. And the class will give you the structure. You learn the techniques. Uh, so much more happens in between all those uh, lessons that helps too. And you have a group of people that hold you accountable. The thing I like about my classes here is, this, if I hit open mic, I'll see half half the comics have gone through the class, and the, those people that took the class together are hanging with each other. They're still going out and writing with each other. You know, I've got several students who've gone full time because they put in the effort. Brian Bates never, when he took the writing class, he didn't even plan on doing the performance class. He just wanted to learn how comedy worked. But he had two or three buddies in there, two other guys named Brian, that also weren't planning on it. But like, hey, man, let's take the performance class. See how that works. Like, yeah. Then they did the graduation. They're like, man, let's do a show called The Three Brians. And even though we only have five minutes apiece, we can go somewhere and do 15 minutes as a group. And then they could do 30. And then they could do 20 apiece and do an hour. So classes do a lot more things than just teach you the skills. It provides a community. Yes. That holds you kind of accountable. And and last thing I'll just say is it's a safe place to fail. For people that are worried about, they don't laugh, they don't love me, they hate me. Comedy class, we're not like that. We're like, this is what you said, this is how it could be better, let's try it that way. Yeah. I think that's great, and I totally agree because in improv, the improv classes that I took, they all cost money, um, and but the, the the people that I became friends with most of them I'm still friends with, and I took those, you know, 10 years ago. I'm still friends with them. We went through several classes together, uh, and we, you know, in improv, is it's different than stand-up, but you're still trying to be funny. You, and people would say, well, if it's improv, why do you need to take a class? And I'm like, well, you, well, you need to learn the structure right. of what makes an improv scene work. Right. And I, I say the same thing for stand-up. I mean, so many new stand-up comics will come. They've never taken a class. And, and I don't think you have to take a class. But I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a class if you want to because I see people come up. They don't know how to hold the microphone. They don't know how to – they're so awkward. They're, they're you know, uh, 
I mean, I'm sure people are tired of me talking about being clean, but they're cussing every other word. And I'm like, you just don't need that. You just need to learn how to write a joke. Right. Once you learn how to write a joke, you can cuss as much as you want. But learn to write jokes without them and then use them for emphasis. Right. You can put icing on the cake. Right. But if you don't have the cake, the icing is just going to it's going to rot your teeth. Yes. That's what, that's what swearing is. It's, it's if you like it and it punches it up and makes it more flavorful, but it's got to sit on something. Right. It's got there's got to be something there. Just like I mean, improv somebody can steal the whole scene and get laughs for themselves, but they ruin the scene because they don't know how the structure works. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we got about 10 minutes, and since this uh, podcast that I'm going to have our interview on is the one where I talk about uh, getting into clubs. Now, I don't mean talking about hosting or featuring, but uh, just like, I don't know, just if you had any advice on someone who, let's let's just say Nashville, for instance. They live here, and they're like, I want I really want, and they're doing the open mics a little bit, and they want to start working the club. What would you say would be a, a, a good advice for them? First thing I'd do is follow Lucy on Twitter. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? And, and you don't have to like or share or respond to everything she tweets. But Lucy is, is – and you, you can give her Twitter out at the end if you want. Yeah. But I would get to know the manager of the club, just yes. their personality, their style. I'm not a person that, like, breaks down – there's this thing called the Enneagram. Are you familiar with that? No. It's kind of like those personality assessments. Okay. So there's like seven or eight or 12 different types of people. I don't know exactly what Lucy would be diagrammed as, or you or me, but there's ways you approach different types of people, and and there this these different things, these charts and these enneagrams or whatever, um, help you to know how to do that. So I'm not saying you have to take those to do that, but you, sh- you should know who the manager is, right? See what her style is. Yeah, I would go to as many shows at Zany's as a paying customer as humanly possible, especially the ones that showcase local talent. Because you're going to be watching people who you're going to see at the open mics across the street, down the road, and you'll you'll know what they, how funny they are, how funny they're not, but you'll know the comics before you even hit the open mics because you'll see them at those local showcases. Zany's has like the comedy out there, Yazoo contest and different different things. But yeah. familiarize yourself with not only the local scene but kind of the regional scene. You'll see comics coming in from Atlanta and Birmingham and whatnot. Then I would. And you're lucky in Nashville because Lucy likes comedy. She does. So great. So great. She comes to open mic. She... Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. If, if you go to Zany's and she sees you as a paying customer, and then she goes to an open mic and she sees you doing comedy there, she can put two and two together. Yeah. She, she knows, okay, this guy is supporting the club. Now, got to be funny when you go up at the open mic. Sometimes you go to the open mic, it's all new material. You don't know it's going to be funny. Right, but if you look over and you see Lucy there, I'd probably do some good, some, some yeah. of your best stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Do a winner. Sense. Throw a winner in there. Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, Go up there. Don't ask the crowd questions. Don't end on a ridiculously oversaturated swearing material with no punchline or no structure. You just had a chance not to go do a showcase at Zany's, but Zany's came to you, and you can showcase your talent at that open mic. Now, Lucy can, you know, she can. I'm sure you've had her on here probably. Yes. If not, she can refute it. I don't want to speak for her, but... I do have a whole Lucy episode, yes. I do too. Yeah. So, And she gave great advice on that. Uh, but I would, I would get to know the scene, get to know the manager, and I would be crushing at open mic on such a regular basis that it would make no sense for me not to try to go to Zany's and do a three-minute spot sometime. Yes. And, and, that, and, and, and when you get the three-minute spot, 
you don't complain that it's only three minutes. That it's only three minutes or that you're going last or that you're going first, that you're going after the funniest guy or gal in the, in the lineup. You don't complain that uh, you still got to pay for your two beers or whatever. Whatever it is, you don't know how hard it is to get stage time until you've got it and lost it. Yes. Right? So don't Absolutely. lose it the first time you go up. Right, and it's much harder to get back if you lose it yeah. than it was to get in the first place. First, I mean, as, as much as we are, people are forgiving and we, we love you know, to help people out, a first impression is a first impression. Yes. And I would treat open mics with re- the respect you would treat a club with. Because let's say you're in there, you don't see the manager from your local club in the, in the crowd, but then you go up and they walked in and you didn't, didn't notice. And you're up there bashing the audience or bashing other comics or just wasting your time. Well, that, that's all they're going to know about you. Yeah. So when all of a sudden you're ringing them up at, at, at the club or stopping in, oh, all of a sudden you're, somehow your name doesn't get, doesn't get pulled out of that hat. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And I, I, some of the best advice I got when I first started, it started in Columbus and it was doing well there. And I wanted to go to Louisville because the, the guy there booked a lot of stuff at the time. And I told him one of the other open micers that I was hanging with, I'm like, I'm going to go to Louisville. And he goes, man, go there when you're over ready. Because if, if they like you, they want you, they're going to have you come back the next week and they want to see a different 15. So if you, only, if you only have 15 and you come back and do the same 15, they know they can't give you feature work yet. Go in there when you're ready to feature, and almost beyond ready to feature, so they, they have to give you the feature spot. You know? Yeah. And so as as... Everybody thinks things need to happen fast, and in comedy, it's like 10 times slower than the slowest you can imagine as a non-comedian right now. Yes. It is a crawl. It's a grind, but the process is fun. As long as you're seeing progress, you know, you, you stick with it. If, you, if you're not getting better, that's when – if you're not a person that wanted to take a class and you've tried it for five years, you're not getting anywhere, a class might be a real eye-opener for you. If you're starting and you want to kind of get a quicker pace, take a class. It doesn't have to be for me. It just – Read a book, you know, right. get in there and figure out what you need to do. Well, I do like the idea that, you know, you take a class from someone who's working, someone who is has mm-hmm. is having success as a comic, uh, because that's important. I mean, you've been doing it uh, since 91, as <laughs> yeah. we've established, and you're still doing it. Yeah. So, and also, I always, you know, uh, people always want to say that, uh, you know, comedy class is not cool or whatever, and it's like... Yeah, but what class is cool? Right. Like, no class is cool, but it's like, do you want to be cool or do you do you, do you, you want to be l- better? Yeah, do you want to learn how to do it? Mm-hmm. Like, you do the class, and then, you know, 10 years down the road, you can be as cool as you want, but you learn structure. Right, and for the people that think comedy class isn't cool or any class isn't cool, it comes from a mindset of embarrassment. I'm asking somebody for help. Right. That's really what it is. Yeah. That's, there's human nature under every decision we make. But if you add the two words at the end, or three words, to get better, I'm asking for help to get better. Well, you're just giving yourself permission to be successful to me. Yes. But if you're, if you're like, oh, man, I don't want other people think I need help. I get people to take the writing class, and the, my local class has lifetime membership. So you pay for it once, come to it every time I offer it. Never have to pay again. And every class, I have at least two or three people that took it a year ago, five years ago, sometimes ten years ago. They'll come back in because they're at a different spot in their comedy career. They know more now, so everything I'm teaching, they, they're they like, oh, man, I've been totally forgetting that technique, or that's what I needed. Or sometimes they just come into class and sit in the back of the room and spend that two hours to write, but but they're being around creative people. But every class I teach, a former student comes in, at, yes. least, at least one, if not a third of the class. All right, so this question, I feel like that you've answered this, but I wrote it down, so I thought I would ask anyway. Uh, 
So what are, what are some common mistakes you see new comics make? I'm going to throw out something that may not seem like the typical answer. Okay. Because you've probably covered a lot already on this. But the thing that you have to realize is the first question you have to ask is, what am I going to give up? You can't start comedy unless you give up something else, period. It, you know how much time it takes. Yeah, my whole life is comedy. Your whole life. And when you have a life before you become a comic, you've got all that other stuff. And you're trying to squeeze in becoming a professional at something on nights and weekends. That's not enough time. Uh, not that you have to quit your job right out of the gate, but you're going to have to quit a hobby. I mean, I'll just flat out tell you, that the year that I put together the online course, I gave up watching my Kentucky Wildcats, which is like 30-game season. I gave up watching NFL. gave up watching all sports. And that gave me over 100 hours yeah. that I could focus on writing that course. And so when you're going to start comedy, you have to give up something else. It might be that you spend too much time golfing. I mean, just look at your checkbook. Where are you spending your money besides your house payment? That's probably your biggest hobby, your biggest time consumer. Ask yourself, am I willing to give that up to try something else? It may not be forever. Maybe you quit comedy and come back to it. But you've got to find time in your schedule. It's not going to fit on top of what you're already doing. It never yes. has. Well, yeah, and that's something that I've said before too. Like, if you have, if you're trying to start right now and you have a wife and kids, like, uh, you know, understandably, your family is not going to be that happy about you getting into it. You can still do it, but it's going to take you a lot longer because uh, you can give up golf, you can give up sports, but you can't give up your wife and kids to do comedy. Right. And if you can't, you're a terrible person. But well, you know, not to equate comedy to rocket science. But I'm almost finished watching this first man, Neil Armstrong thing on HBO. And 90% of the movie is, is about how his family kind of suffers for him to reach his goal. Yeah. I mean, comedy seems like such an egocentric goal to someone who's not in it. So your spouse, your kids, uh, they might be happy for you a little bit on the outside. But inside, they're like, they're going to resent the fact that you're going to go try to do something that's all about you. Right. And leaving them behind. Especially if you're writing jokes about them now. Yeah. And you know what? I, Not that I need permission from my family, but whenever I put them in a joke, I run it by them. Yeah. And you know, they, they kind of like it when I put them in. And sometimes yeah. they'll give me some lines that I wouldn't have thought of. But it's just showing respect to them. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's great. And let's say, uh, schooloflaughs.com is where we can find uh, all about your podcast, all, your, all about your classes there, too. Mm-hmm. And you know what I wanted to do for anybody that listens to your podcast is if they want to take any of the levels that I mentioned in that online class, they can go online to schooloflast.com, click the online class link. That'll take you to a sign-up page. If they want to put in the code DUSTYPOD, all capital letters, in the checkout, they can take 20% off uh, any of those classes. All right. Just because I think if they're listening to you, they want to learn, they should be rewarded for wanting to learn. I think that's great. Yes, I get a lot of emails from people saying that this is helpful to them, and um, and that's all I want this to be. And uh, that's what I think that your your class is. I mean, I do know people that have taken them, and I know people that uh, are working now as comics. A couple a couple of personal friends of mine. So I think it's great. It's fun to see. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And if you want to look up Rick Roberts, it's Rick Roberts, but Rick R I K. Yeah. No C in there. R.I.K. Roberts. And uh, check my dry bar thing just came out. I'm like All right. 800th person that has one. But if you yeah. want to check out my uh, stuff on there, they've got three clips up on their YouTube channel. And uh, I'm linking to it.
shift from my website too. So you kind of kind of see the guy that's been talking to you for a while. If you don't think I'm funny, then don't take my class for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Rick's done my show, and he may do it again sometime. It's when schedules I'd love to come back and just hang. Yeah, yeah. When schedules match up, we'll do it. All right. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. You bet.